That's All right, it. Michelle, do you have any new theories or suspicions? In no, but I, hey, I think it was pretty cool, the stuff we talked about last time, don't you? I think we really, um, even if we didn't hit the nail on the head, I think we hit our were, <laughs> we did. I think we at least hit our thumb with it. What do you think? Yeah, you know, there are there's a lot of new stuff introduced and there's some stuff that I think I've resolved. Even if I'm wrong about it, I think I've figured it out. Okay. I'm guessing one way or the other, and I'm guessing that I've figured it out. Right. Um, I was thinking that if I was Nick Pizzolatto, what I would do as a writer is I would throw... I would use season one's template and jujitsu it into faking people out for this season three. Like, throw a lot of clues that look like, oh, yeah, this is what he did in season one, where we all loved it. But then that, have that not be the real resolution. And I think he might be actually doing that. Because there's tons of season one links in this, in this season. Like the spiral, the crooked spiral. There's the crown now that we see, the yellow crown for the yellow king in the notebook. You know, the missing children, the powerful people that need children to replace other missing children. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I I hope that if they do that, they do it well. And I agree with you. I think that that would have been a great thing for them to do was to rehash season one and and perfect it. I, I think that they can really go too far too. And yeah, because if he rehatches season one and perfects it, it's a want want. It's like a it's a it's a disappointment. But right. if he makes it look that way and then comes up with another angle, then that's smart. I, I completely think agree. I think that's what he's doing. I kind of hope that's what he's doing. Maybe that's what I'm saying. Do you have um, any specifics that you're basing well, that off I of? I mean, they're dropping some clues that we thought, wow, that's interesting. Julie turned into like a Patty Hearst bank robber Stockholm syndrome got a hold of her but I don't think that's true now no I don't know I think no, the Walgreens they... robbery was just a way that they needed to tell us that she's alive because you know what a brilliant way to do it there was a robbery so at a robbery you go around and you collect fingerprints and oh by the way here's that girl that disappeared 10 years ago she just happened to be working not working but shopping at a Walgreens that's how they that was the vehicle that they used to tell us that she's alive. That didn't imply she's a criminal. So exactly that I think was solved by this episode three. Do we know how far away that Walgreens is? It's in Oklahoma, from- and they're in Arkansas, so pretty far. Okay, but she has to be somewhere, you know. And it's ten years later, so she, you know people sure. go anywhere. Sure. Drivable, but pretty far. I mean, different part of the country. You know, same part of the country, but, you know, somewhat far. Okay. I just wasn't sure. I I'm actually didn't think about it till you were just saying that, but I'm just kind of curious now because, you know, we see the scene where they are visiting the Walgreens, and um, it just makes me kind of wonder so I how think far the away she was syndrome, the whole time. Yeah. syndrome is out because of that. I think the 
the interest and so I talked about season one being copied like the rich now we have this new rich food guy who's got a missing daughter with a potentially a motive to replace that missing daughter by getting another girl you know I lost my daughter I'll kidnap one and get just be right back where I started you know that's kind of a kind of a thought I had with this this Hoyt food guy Okay. Yeah, I had a similar thought, but mine was more of the fact of what we talked about last time in that since since Lucy worked there, Julie's mom, and since Tom's mother told Hayes and West that she thinks that Lucy got pregnant with Julie when Tom was out of town then it kind of makes sense that maybe, and maybe they're just leading us this way, that Lucy got pregnant with this Hoyt's daughter. Maybe Julie didn't belong to Tom at all and belonged to Hoyt's daughter, this Hoyt food. Yeah, belonged to Hoyt, you mean. The Hoyt, the old man Hoyt got her pregnant? Yeah, or maybe his son or somebody, somebody there, somebody there that, is, you know, that in, adds up, but then it falls short of the goal line by about two yards. Because why would you, what if that guy, if that's the case, and he wants to grab that daughter? Why does he have? To, what happened to Will? Like, why did Will? I think Will was an accident, and we said that before. We said that last time. I don't think Will. Or I don't necessarily think at this point, but in some of the upcomings, we'll talk about that at the end of it. But um, but Will could have just been an accident. Well, it appears that. That's other new evidence in this episode, too. Right. But what if you're a rich guy, why don't you just go to Tom and say, hey, dude, here's what really happened. You were away. I was cheating on your wife with her, and she got pregnant, and here's a million dollars I, you don't kid. You don't steal the girl if you're. You're pretty evil to steal a girl, right? If she were stolen, you know. I mean, maybe she wasn't stolen. The home, and you know, of course, you can't blame a ten-year-old. She was stolen, of course. But what I'm saying is, maybe she wanted to go. Maybe because you know they find all this stuff now this different stuff that they found the notes and stuff like that, that she had this relationship. We know she had a relationship with the two adult ghosts, the two people in the white sheets. We know that she's they're meeting somebody out in the woods. They're lying about where they're going. And we had kind of ta- touched on that last time too. And, you know, they knew, look, their, those kids' home life was not great. Their mom was out running around. Their dad was, you know, drinking and preoccupied, even though I think he really loved the kids. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But certainly the home life was tumultuous. And then, you know, they have this somebody that's got money, which is unusual, we find out. And they're buying them the toys and they're spending the time with them and they're playing the games. And, you know, I don't know how much of a kidnapping, kidnapping it would be more than just a luring her away, which is 
all the same, still bad. But do you think if they went to Tom with a million dollars, he would have given up Julie? No, but I, I would say, I would say, I mean, what do you want? What's the, <laughs> what's the ultimate goal of that rich guy to, to get her? You, know, you don't need to get her away. You could just say, hey, man, here, I want to support my daughter. Here's some whatever college money, and I'll hear some for Will, too, or whatever. But just I want to be closer to my daughter. Here's what happened. Well, that's not as good a story. And yeah, I know, but... Maybe, maybe that was the intent the whole time was just to get to know her and spend some time with her and all that. And then something happened to Will, and so he just panicked or something. Yeah, the just panicked part I don't like. It's like there has to be a better plan, a more evil plan. Maybe, but but not really. I mean, things can be evil just by circumstance, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be a planned evil. It's bad enough that that Will died, even if he died playing. It's still a horrible story, and then just one of poor choices after that. And, of course, I mean, I'm guessing at this point we're still really, really new in this. So who knows how this is going to play out. You know, think about it. Not so much. There's only eight episodes, and we're almost halfway through. Is there eight? I thought there was ten. No, there's only eight. Eight. Oh my gosh! So next episode is the halfway one. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, never mind. My story's completely correct then. Um. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if I want Pizzolatto to copy season one (laughs) because if it's just a stupid accident, oh, I panicked, I got to cover it up. It seems like that's another want want. Like I want it. You know, I want it to be more powerful somehow. I don't know it. So I don't know if I want it to be season one redo or just totally different story. Um, No, but I'm I'm telling you, I'm going to trust them. I'm going to trust them again. I trusted them in season one and, and they did not let me down. I trusted them in season two and it was horrible. And, but so far this is so good that I just cannot imagine that they would drop the ball on this. So another new thing in this episode was, New to me, anyway. It seems like West is turning out to be actually a pretty good guy and not kind of a smarmy, not-so-good guy. You know, he didn't seem as good before as he did before this episode. Right. Now it looks like he's the one that got shot. Now he's trying to help Hayes get kind of back on track as a detective in this new task force. Seems like a good—he helped Tom out. Seems like a good guy. I didn't picture him as a good guy before. I don't know that I pictured him one way or another, but the way they were kind of talking about him in the in episodes one and two was almost like um, he was a ladder climber like the other guys. Right. That was his real motivation. Right. Might have been. I mean, those both don't they aren't mutually exclusive, but. Well, no, but he made a point in this episode to say that, um, you know, if. He was talking with him in the bar, talking with Hayes in the bar, and he said he would have that Hayes would have been his boss if he had played his cards right, so to speak. So that doesn't sound like he was trying to do anything more. I don't know. I I didn't take it as as the ladder climber specific anymore. You know, not not to a fault anyway. Well, like if he's a ladder climber, he's at least at least trying to reach back and help Hayes up with climb with him. And said he had reached out to him at two other points, wanting him to be in the office with him and was shot down. So something happens with Hayes. So we also found out a lot of stuff went happened and went unreported 
all stuff off the record. Yeah. The Hoyt spokesman guy got interviewed by the police and then, but Hayes didn't know about it. Uh, what else? The, all, it seems like all these rich, powerful people are pulling strings behind the scenes to swamp this case, to ruin it with rewards that f- call in all these false clues. And um, I don't know. Stuff happened. The, the interviewer lady said, oh, no, all these things. Look at this. This never got this never got put into the actual record. Yeah. And you wonder how much of that is just oversight. And I I think the really big twist in this and the part that um, that could really lead somewhere is maybe Hayes knew this stuff back then, you know, maybe he was because something happened with him that he's not doing what he did anymore. Right. And he makes some, some comment about, um, you know, as, as he's talking in the recorder about what, they they find that he left behind or something. What what was that all well, about? Well, Amelia says that you need to go back in the woods and find what you left behind. Yeah, I but that's know. like his. I mean, that's not Amelia. That's his conscience speaking because Amelia's not there, really. Right? Yeah, so that's himself talking through the ghost of Amelia. Right. So, unless she's really a ghost, Michelle. Unless and that would be another twist. We could go that way. So what else? The hole in the wall seems to be not so nefarious anymore. The hole in the peeking hole, peephole, <laughs> seems to be some way that the kids pass notes to each other, or somebody, maybe the uncle passed a note to Julie to say, "Don't worry about your mom and dad fighting." I mean, it seems like maybe probably will though, because those little notes look crumpled up like they were. Rolled up and stuffed through that hole. Okay, I didn't get that at all. That's interesting. The only thing about that is, was the handwriting, was the penmanship on those notes too neat to be that of a twelve-year-old boy? Yeah, it looked like from an adult. I I took that more as you know the the notes maybe left in the play place, the the wooded uh, you know little place they met. But I, I mean I don't know why I thought that. I just automatically thought that and never thought anything different. So some of them looked like little flat scraps of paper, but some of them looked like they had been rolled up, which would have been perfect way to pass them through that that hole in the wall. And, and if that's the content, room, don't listen, it, don't let this, you know, it's kind of he's bolstering her, you know, to help her feel sec- more secure than the environment around her was projecting. Right. So if that were the cousin, that's very smart, Mike. If that were the co- but I mean, why would he do it that way? There's got to be other ways you can pass notes, right? But anyway, if that were the cousin that were staying in the in Will's room, and, and if it was looking through to Julie's room, then he could be saying, I'll protect you from this or whatever. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, okay. Um, also, know. the kids have been lying all along. They really weren't going to the friends. They were just bullshitting and going and doing something else. Yeah, not only were they lying this time, they've been lying the whole time. That's what I mean. Yeah, they're not even friends, really, with this Ronnie Boyle kid. And also, did you notice that Ronnie Boyle has the same last name as one of the guys, one of the older teenage guys, Frankie Boyle? 
There's Freddie Burns, Ryan Peters, and Frankie Boyle. So we have to assume that they're related, too. And I don't know if that's just going to be something coincidental. Yeah. I actually went back to episode one, and the very first thing they say to Scoot is, Hey, Dad, can we go to the playground to see the dog? So they're they're intentionally misleading. Yeah. You know, they're they're playing it. And we brought that up last time, you know. So what? Are, why do they need to do that? That Dad, you know... Are they just so beat up by home life that they have to get away to something else and they can't even tell their dad, hey, we need some downtime, dad. We're just going to ride our bikes. They need an excuse. Well, they've they've been lying to him for, for a while about, you know, Ronnie Boyle is supposed to be Will's best friend. They play together after school, according to uh, Tom, their dad, three to four days a week, and that's not true at all. Ronnie, if, if Ronnie's telling the truth, Ronnie says that they – um, never play together after school. Right. So, you know, this this whole thing has been something contrived so they can get away in the woods and meet with these people that they're meeting. Yeah, I guess so. They they don't they don't just say though, hey, Dad, see you later. We'll be back at dark. They have to give them a lie. That's interesting to me. Um, also, Michelle, the bike, the bike that the guy, the teenage punks were playing with the bike, the mm-hmm. wheel, the front wheel on the bike is not bent up while he's doing that. But later on, when we see the bike laying there with the police looking at it, the front wheel is all bent and damaged. Well, he was stomping it. Remember? Yeah. So either the kids wrecked the bike because when he had it, the bike was in good shape. But the but the bike bent wheel makes me think that the kid's riding his well I don't know I guess he fell he didn't ride his bike into the woods he f- probably was walking when he fell and hit the rock I was thinking maybe he rode his bike over the thing and hit the rock but I guess you if you're in the woods you're not riding your bike through the woods you're walking probably yeah I can't imagine he could have ridden his bike in that terrain so he stomped the wheel into bent shape yeah just a teenager. Being destructive is how pretty I hard took to do that. that, though. Pretty hard. Is to it? Do. I think. Yeah. yeah, I think it's pretty hard to bend a. Bu- if you're riding it and you crash, it could do it. But the way he right. was just he was just bouncing around and throwing it on the ground. I I don't know. I guess he was stomping it. He was taking his foot and like stomping it. But yeah. I don't know. I guess. All right, and then the um new. Introduction of the people in the brown sedan, the nice brown sedan, black man, white woman. Yeah. Is that the white woman Hoyt lady with the black security guard or a driver or something? Something. But I don't picture it being a woman, I don't know, going after Julie, you know? That doesn't make any sense, right? And then I start wondering... You know, was it, but that doesn't make any sense. Was it Lucy with the man? Yeah. But that, that can't be, I mean, it could, but that can't be, that's not going to make any sense if that's it. I don't know. I don't know, but there is something about this show. It's just so raw and it's just gritty and so like this slice of America and 
even though it's harsh because they've got this story to tell, these images of this rural small town is just so compelling to me. It's like something I can't look away from. I don't even want to look away from it. And you and I were both young in the 80s, and they just capture that time so eloquently. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so taken aback with these scenes as they're put up that I can like hear the Katie dids and smell like the, the stuff on the road, the, the ass, it's not asphalt. What did they do? They used to come around like patch holes in the road and you could smell it in the summertime. You know, it was like this, this smell. And I mean, I'm really taken back to that. It's very little TV has such a powerful pull on my memory as Nick Pizzolatto is able to do smoke when, when, when Roland and Tom are in that kitchen, when he's recovering, he's a recovered alcoholic and he's making him the coffee. Like you could just smell the smoke of the cigarettes in that trailer. Like just, you know, that that's when people used to smoke inside their own houses. Oh yeah. Yeah. That mixed with that brewing coffee. Yeah. You're really taken. They, they, it, it's very, visceral, I guess. It's, I'm not sure if that's the word I want to use, but but I can definitely feel and it it's like they somehow create a way to engage all of your senses by watching this. And I just think that's brilliant. I think I've ruled out Amelia as the murderer too. That was like that was an interesting twist to think about, but it just doesn't make sense. She created the murder so she would have something to escape her boring teacher life and be an author. And if you if you want good evidence in a crime for a book, you can create that evidence yourself and be the murderer. I, you know, it just seems wacky to me. Yeah, I, I don't think it was Amelia. All right, Michelle. Well, that's my that's what I came up with in the week between our last podcast and now. Well, that's quite a bit. That really is. We've talked for, you know, quite a while even just on that. That's pretty interesting. But I thought it was interesting, too, how we started off. I, I wasn't counting on them doing this. Uh, going to West's deposition. Last week, we had Hayes' deposition at the 10-year mark, and then we start off with West's. And I didn't even recognize him for a minute. They really changed him. Um in those 10 years from 1980 to 1990. But they're asking Wes some of the hard questions, right? About why you weren't the first at the scene. If you were just canvassing the neighborhood, which is what he said they were doing when they got the note. And, um, we know what he was doing. They were out there beating up on LaGrange and that's why they were the last ones to show up there. But he keeps his mouth shut about it. He says, maybe you should talk to Hayes because Hayes probably has the better memory. And of course, then that segues us into the next scene, which is Hayes speaking to his doctor about waking up on that street corner. Yeah. It's pretty clever the way they, they dive up and down between these three levels of time. And they make it they make it three different stories, really, but they also make it very clear which story you're in by. It's very easy to tell Hayes from 2015 to 1990 and even 1990 to 1980. So it's very clear. It's easy to follow, and it's super interesting to see this this 3D chess game. You know, it's not just stories, but it's 
it's got a depth of time to it too. Well, yeah, and we get the story from, like, all sides, which I think makes it really interesting in place of just in a linear kind of way. But so Hayes and Henry is are at the doctor for Hayes' mental condition, and they find out there's nothing new on the CT scan. And Henry's asking him, but you do remember, like, me taking you home. He's tricking him, right? And Hayes says, yeah, and he goes, well, I didn't take you home. Heather did, his wife. And that makes Hayes really mad, and he's like, you're not putting me in a home. So they're insinuating that he has Alzheimer's. Is that what you got out of it? Could be a lot of thing, a few things, but, yeah. I mean, I would be mad, too, this gotcha game. He calls it when so now we're playing the gotcha game. That's, I mean, it's effective, but it isn't really fair if he does really have this affliction. You know, especially in front of a doctor. No, I'm going to disagree with you, Mike, because you can't, if, if you've got something, you know, medical or mental, uh, which is medical in this case going on, you can't lie about your ability. No, but he could have, he could have, he could have exposed it a different way. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't nice, but at the same time, I think he knew his dad was lying about it. And, you know, it's real important in these situations. This guy's like driving a car. And it's, it, but it it is interesting how Hayes is talking about how he feels like he went there for a reason. He didn't feel like he just went there and woke up there, but he can't remember what the reason is. I think we're going to, I've, the way I feel like they're leading the story is that we're going to end up seeing some things that Hayes there. There's something about Hayes now, I think, right. There's something he left or something he did or something he overlooked or something, maybe something he exposed. There's something about him that he doesn't remember at this point. The most prominent theory out there is that he had evidence that would have would have resolved the case in the right way, but he didn't use it, and he let somehow let the wrong person be convicted or accused. And uh, now he can go back. If he can go back into the woods and get that, and f- and expose the right person somehow. I don't know. That's kind of what I took from that. Yeah, it could definitely be something like that. I I'm not convinced yet on what exactly has happened that. You know, leaving something, maybe overlooking something deliberately, maybe overlooking something because he was told to, maybe bringing it up to the wrong person. I don't know. Or because Amelia wrote a book and it would have made her look like a fool just as she was escaping from her mundane teacher job and becoming this great author because she wrote six more books or however many. She seemed to this was her pathway to success that if he if he exposed it it would have been like you're all wrong about this this fantastic author that's not how it happened oh surely not surely he's not going to let a kid's disappearance go because of his wife's career i don't know look at the affair michelle guys cover up shit for people Okay, I'm really hoping this doesn't turn into the affair 2.0. But it was interesting that Hayes tells Henry that if he tries to put him in a home, he'll off himself. You know, we've seen that with the gun, and they keep showing us the gun in this. 
And then we go to that scene where Hayes and Amelia are sitting outside the Walgreens where Julia's print was found. It's when I was asking you how far away that was because it doesn't seem like it's that far because they're there and it's just like a Saturday night and they decided to go there. Well, you know, Oklahoma touches Arkansas. Yeah. But we find out that this was Hayes' last case, too. He says he didn't think that would be his last case. And then he talks about how tired he is of having this in his life. Amelia says, why don't we just, you know, go to the hotel that was down the road and drink and have sex all night long? And Hayes sort of blows her off. And then she gets this idea to offer to go after the fingerprint info from the, um, what was it, Salisaw police? And she says that she'll, like, get dolled up and go talk to them and see what she can find out because she is a legit author. And um, Yeah, she's quite the little actress in her side gig, going into different cities and being playing different roles in life, and now she's doing this with the police. Yeah. Yeah, she is. And that was uh, – we're going to talk about that in just a minute. I'm going to get your take on Hayes' anger over that. But then we go back to 1980, and Hayes and West are driving and discussing that they just need to start all over. This is right after the note thing. And um, all the stuff we've already talked about, Hayes brings up that the Purcell kids were lying, and why would they do that? And Hayes wants to talk to the Boyle kid again, this Ronnie Boyle, and the parents. And they just really get into this, you know, we're going to have to, like, start over. And they do. Then we go back to 1990, and West is saying that Hayes knew the kids were telling stories. And it was really interesting, this this conversation that he was having, right? Because it was the same thing that Hayes had had with these people. But he gets mad over Hayes here. He says that Hayes probably didn't even mention it to them when they brought him in for the questioning. And that was, you know, because they didn't treat him right in this. And we don't know what's happened yet. Well, Wes says the boy played the game a lot. And he talks to this game he refers to, like Dungeons and Dragons type game. or maybe That's what I thought of, yeah. Maybe actually Dungeons and Dragons. But and he says other kids didn't play it with him. So adults somehow trying to, I mean, why is there, why is this game that that's creepy too? Like if you're the old man Hoyt and you're trying to lure this kid away, these two kids away, maybe get the daughter. Why do you play this creepy game out in the woods? I mean, that's creepy. There's a creepiness that, that makes me reject the theory that it's Hoyt trying to get himself a new daughter. I don't think he's trying to get himself. Yeah, I, I don't think that. And you're right. It is creepy and underhanded in any sense. And I don't know that it's him. Because the people that we see or the people that they're talking about could not be Hoyt, right? Or, I mean, might, was might Ho- not be Hoyt. Okay. Well, is that, I mean, I'm trying to clarify what you're saying. The people that we see. The people that they're talking about in the nice car, was it Hoyt? I don't know. Well, if, okay. Agents of Hoyt, Hoyt's over in Africa. Or so they say. If Hoyt 
Okay, we know it's a black man, right, and a white woman. If it's a black man, it can't be Hoyt if Hoyt is Julie's dad. Right, but you don't picture the rich guy going out and doing the dirty work in the field. He's He's got like a bodyguard or a team or something that does it. Well, yeah, but you're not going to have somebody else... Unless you're just an, unless it's completely nefarious, you're not going to have somebody else go build a relationship over all this time with these kids. I mean, that's going to be something you want to do oh, if you right. want the relationship with your kid. Right. So I'm confused about that. Mint, Min, Shell, if they find out that those two ghosts were turned inside out Hoyt bags, uh, that's going to seal the deal. That would be, that would tell us something, wouldn't it? But anyway, the, uh, West is saying that, that they didn't treat him right, that they didn't treat Hayes right, and that they kind of ought to be ashamed of themselves. The lawyer kind of scolds West and tells him to stay on point, and he says he is making a point. He calls him son. Is that... um Was that universal back then? Because I think it I, was a bit of a southern... Yeah, better watch your steps, son. I don't think it's. I think it's more colloquial than prejudicial. Like, like it is kind of a. It is kind of a racist. In a way, it's racist to call call somebody boy or son. But I think it's probably colloquial more than that. I mean, that's kind I think of, it could be used racially, but I don't think it's racist. As a matter of fact, I mean, you know, growing up in the South in the 80s, it was just a derogatory term. It was like calling somebody not as smart as me. Or just or just a respect your elders type thing, not even derogatory. Like the, like the guy in the woods with the detectives like, don't overstep your bounds, son. It's like, no, I, I own this property. You can't come here and just boss me around and get a search warrant or, or without a search warrant. You're, you're going to have to do that, son. Like, remember that I'm older than you and I have earned this property. And, yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily that derogatory. I think he meant it derogatory. That's what. That's kind of what I was asking you, whether it was a just like – a southern thing because it was said derogatorily when I, if that's the word when I was young seriously it was said in a way to kind of put you in your place like you don't have the authority to be saying what you're saying watch what you're saying and um that's not necessarily know- derogatory though that could just be like a hey hey remember there's a boundary here that you shouldn't be crossing yeah but when you say that to somebody that you've just met and you're having an interview, I, I guess, I mean, it definitely seems a put you in your place word, but I didn't know if that was just a Southern thing or not. Okay. Then we go back to 1980 and they're talking to Ronnie Boyle and Ronnie is saying that they didn't play much outside of school and his father corroborates that story. Then they're at the Purcell's house, and they're saying that, um, and they're asking about the kids playing with this Ronnie. And Tom said that they played together three or four times a week after school. They were best friends. And they ask him if Ronnie ever came to their house, and he says no. And we find out that this is how out of touch Tom was. 
even though we feel for Tom, Tom had a lot on his plate and he was really out of touch with those kids. If he thinks this guy, Ronnie was their best friend and they played together three or four times a week, but always at his house and they never, he never had any, you know, there, there was no evidence of that, obviously. Right. Well, that's why, you know, maybe I'm making too big of a deal out of this. That's why I'm wondering why the kids had, I mean, they wrote, they wrote on their wall, why lie? Well, why did the kids have to lie? They didn't even have to tell Tom anything, really. Hey, Dad, going out for a bike ride. Okay, see you later. No, he, but they did, though, because when he was when they were saying they were going to go do that, he was questioning them. Yeah, so he he's was, not. So he's so he is. He is a bit of a dad, and he's he, you know okay. Wh- where are you going? Like he didn't just let them go. He did want to know where they were going, even if they lied to him. He didn't. He didn't dig in and figure out it was a lie. Right. He didn't follow through with anything, but he was maybe doing the best he could with what he had at the time. Right. I don't don't think he had a lot of reserves left. Well, that adds up then, I guess. They they found a good lie and they stuck with it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And who knows? Maybe that lie was fed to them. We don't even know. But Tom gets upset asking why they aren't trying to find Julie. I guess he's a little defensive. And that's when Wes ask him if they can go back through some of the kids' things. And Lucy wants to know what they're looking for, but they don't know. So Hayes is going through some papers, and Lucy is watching him from the doorway. She's just standing there. And West is going through that binder and finds the map, which was interesting. Hayes goes through that Hoyt food bag, which I knew was going to probably turn into something and finds those little notes. And there are things like, I'm always here. Don't listen. And I'll always keep you safe. That has to be from the cousin, right? Or will. I don't, it doesn't, not will. doesn't, doesn't Hayes take those notes kind of surreptitiously kind of sneaks them away. Like yes. he sticks them in his pocket. Right. I didn't think about that, but you're right. The rest of the stuff they kind of had in the box. But, I mean, he's got them out. We see them out at the, when, when they're working through the right. stuff. So I, I don't know. But don't listen. That has to be the parents fighting, right? And him passing that note to Julie. Don't listen. Don't listen to mom and cousin Eddie having sex. Not having sex. I think they were fighting. Or whatever. But yeah, yeah. Fighting. I mean, mom and the cousin slash uncle, maybe they were flirting and screwing around on Tom. No. No. Oh, my gosh. How do you know, Michelle? Were you there? Were <laughs> you peeping through the hole? I was. No. I was not. I think this is the cousin passing the notes to Julie. I thought it was into Julie's room. And I think that I'm always here was his way of saying, you know, I'll t- and, and I'll take care of you. I'll keep you safe. Don't listen when they're but the when cousin the mom and was dad in, are... The cousin was in Will's room and Will was on the couch. And the couch wasn't, the hole is between the couch room and the, Julie's room. No, it wasn't. The hole was between Will's room and Julie's room. Are you sure? Um, that's, we talked about this last time. No. I, I thought I'm, the, I thought the, I thought the hole looked out at the couch in the main room. I know you thought that, but I thought the hole looked at the at the little dressing table into Julie's room. 
I guess that's pretty important. Well, it could I, if no matter if you're looking at it from the bedroom or the living room, it looked at the Julie's room. But what, what about the other room? What other room? You can't look through the hole into Julie's room to tell what room you're looking from. But we know the hole was in Will's room. It was in Will's room. He was going through Will's closet when he found the hole. Okay. That that's I'm ninety nine percent certain of that. I'm seventy five percent certain it was looking into Julie's room. I've always thought it was like a hole between Will's room and Ju- because remember he had just found the uh, Playboys under the bed when he found the hole. That was Will's room, and it was the room that the cousin was staying in. Right. So I think he was passing notes to Julie. I think that, I mean, don't listen. I'm picturing the parents fighting in their room, saying probably really ugly stuff. And he passes her a note and says, don't listen. Well, that explains the better penmanship on the notes, too. That was an adult and not Will. Right. That's my take. And maybe the more sound advice than that could come from a 12-year-old boy who who needs the same note to come to him to don't listen. Exactly. Exactly. So they take a couple of boxes out and they stop to tell the parents they'll go through the things and get back to them. Tom asks them not to lose anything. He's like holding on to this. And this is where they ask if either of them worked for Hoyt Foods. And this is where Lucy says that she did on the chicken line, but she quit a year or two ago because she made better money with tips at the sawhorse. So that ties her into that. Then we go to 1990 and West is saying that Hayes had brought up the kids not being friends and not doing what they said they were going to do. And then there's like this big reward and people just started coming out of the woodwork. And we didn't really know what that was about at that point. And um, then they ask him about Hayes and he says he never sees him anymore, but he feels like they're good friends. It's like they're trying to get him to say something negative about Hayes there, I feel like, and he won't do it. He won't do it, maybe, or there isn't some. There isn't anything negative. Well, right, right. He doesn't feel negative toward Hayes, I don't think. Then Hayes is in Walmart with his kids, and they're wanting to buy something. They're doing like kids do. Can we buy something, just a little something, just a $1 or something? And they're annoying him, and he's not going to let him out of his sight for a minute. And then we go to Amelia, and this is where she's dressed to the nines, and she's at the Salisaw Police saying her ex-husband was a cop, and that's how she heard about this story. And, you know, she's always had a thing for cops, and he's showing her the photos of the fingerprints, and none of the prints were found in the pharmacy, we find out, just on the cosmetic aisle shelf. But the store wanted to get back to business. So they thought it was just a robbery. They didn't of course anticipate this missing child fingerprint thing showing up. So, um, but the detective, the police officer is about to check out the detective, whoever this guy is, and he'll talk more if she wants to go out to dinner. Yeah. Those dopes are putty in her hands. They're putty. So then we go back to Walmart and Becca has walked away from Hayes Uh, Just when he was about to let them go get something for being good, Hayes is at the front of the store. He's freaking out and telling them to shut down the store, lock down the store, blah, blah. And um, about this time she comes up and he just freaks out. He's like shaking her kind of and cussing at her and he is upset. But, I mean, of course he would be upset. 
do so, with the case. He's so doing. what's Pizzolatto's motive, Michelle, in all these lost daughters? Tom loses Julie. Uh, Hoyt loses his daughter to some illness or disease. And and then what's his name? Uh, Hayes. Hayes loses Becca. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. I think we do see a lot of, uh, like in season one, of like the kind of, I don't want to know if it, I don't know if it's mistreatment of females, but but something. That's, yeah, that's people a good criticize Pizzolatto for this because all the women are dead. <laughs> you know, Lucy's dead, Amelia's dead. Who else is dead? Well, Becca's gone. She's not dead, but she's not Becca's, there. Becca's hint of gone as a child, and then literally estranged from Hayes as an adult, right? Definitely estranged from something there that we don't know. We we'll have to assume it's Hayes, I guess. Well, she's—I mean, she's not there. The son is squaring him around town and in his life, and she's not any part of his life. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, then we go to the scene where Hayes and West are at the Hoyt food plant. And they actually have an Ozark Children's Outreach Center inside the plant. The representative there saying that they were happy to help, especially after finding out she was a child of one of their former employees. And Hayes is saying that this led to a lot of false reports. And like you brought up, you know, that they should have contacted them before they did that. And they said they did. Yeah, that's an evil clue. That's a clue of evil. The 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 company putting out ten thousand dollar reward is an invitation to noise to confuse the case. It's an invitation to people. Hey, man, gra- get your grab your share of the ten thousand. Give us some clues, baby. And all these fake, stupid clues come in that messes. It's noise on the on them trying to figure this out. That's interesting. I've never thought of it that way. Even after I watched that, but yeah, I think you're. I think I mean, you're look at right. the clues they got, and people think there's a snake farm in Arkansas with whatever that stupid clue was. Okay, I've just had this little teeny tiny spider. He's been living like on my monitor. He's so little. He's like the size of a pinhead or smaller. And I don't want to hurt him because he's a little bitty and I'm sitting here and he just came crawling across my paper and freaked me out because I actually print off my notes. Anyway, sorry. That just kind of messed me up. I had to I had to relocate little spider. You sound like you're in tears, Michelle. <laughs> he messed me up. I was sitting here and all of a sudden I see this little thing come crawling across my paper. Um but yeah, Hayes is saying that they've gotten a lot of false reports about it. And this is kind of how they tie in that this is the place that offered the false or or the uh, big reward. The foundation was created for Mr. Hoyt's granddaughter who was lost, is what they say a couple years ago. I'm assuming medically something happened to her because they said that that's mainly what they have given money for. No, I think they lost her in the Walgreens. Uh, Well, the Walgreens, the Walmart, they're having some issues with losing. But they talk about the chicken plant and um, uh, Hayes and West want the days of hire for every employee there, all 700 of them. 
And then they want to speak to Mr. Hoyt, but he's been in Africa since October on safari. So he either has and been out of the picture or he hasn't. Or maybe he went there and maybe that's where Julie was sent. I mean, that was back before, wasn't it? Back before um, you had to have a... did. You didn't have to have a passport back then, did you? Nineteen. I have no idea, but it's you know it serves a couple. It's a buffer to a few things. It's a it's an alibi for this old man Hoyt. He could be you know I can't blame me. I was over in Africa. Right. It's an interesting uh, collateral to. Uh, that's not the right word, but <laughs> it's a, it's an interesting comparison to being a hunter and Hayes being a man hunter, and that they might end up confrontation in a confrontation later on and like can the can the hunter of beasts escape from the hunter of men (laughs) you know yeah and and also the detail and stuff that goes into being a hunter i think they pointed that out like if you're a hunter if you're a if you're a safari hunter you would be good at escaping from a man hunter like it gives them some qualifications that are interesting that you would not normally ascribe to somebody like, oh, he's just this dopey rich guy. He'll be able to, he'll be easy for Hayes to catch because he's just a soft rich guy. But if he's a if he's a hunter, it's different. Well, right, it puts him on <clears throat> more equal footing, I guess, with Hayes as far as that kind of stuff goes. A little more, anyway. Okay, so then we go to Hayes and West at the office, and they're going over all the stuff that they've taken out of the room. And um, people are leaving. We see it get dark. They're setting up the bulletin board. And then West answers the phone about the girl. She's being held at a snake farm in, was it Alabama? Yeah, Alabama. Um, and the woman knows because she saw Julie in her dream, and her dreams always come through, come true. And he say, he puts her off on the morning, guys. He says, well, we're closed, so call back in the morning. And West uh, is going through, like, the game stuff and all that. So that was that scene. And then we go back to 1980, and this is where West is asking the question of who gave Julie the job, who played the game with Will, where did they go after school, when they said they were with Ronnie, he's like having this conversation and he said their next move was to shut down the park. And the only people in the park were the search parties. And that was going on every day. And we find out this is a huge park, right? It was like 250 acres or 2,500 acres. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, if you think about a place in the, you know, state that's a park, that's, that's probably the size of it. Yeah. yeah. That's not, that's a, that's a big area, but it's not really that big of an area for a park. I don't think, I think it's but, not, right. Know. But it's a big area to shut down and it's a huge area it's to a search. lot of space to ser- have to search. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we're back in 1980 and Hayes is talking to Amelia about the patterns that he looks for. They're part of this search party and he, she's like, so you really tracked men? And he goes, well, you really marched against the war? And they got kind of like this conflict with that. And then he brings up the poem again. Now, what do you think this poem has to do with this? Is it just the different ways they look at stuff? 
I don't know, but I thought it was interesting how the musical clues between Hayes and Amelia set them off when they first started flirting and meeting each other back in this park. Because when when he asks her for the date while they're walking, doing the search party stuff, he asks her for their first date. Mm-hmm. It's um, underneath it is very ominous building music. It's not like you know rom com type flirty joyous music. It's it's ominous. Like well, we're we're setting off on a journey here together that's gonna be dark. Right, right, and she. Well, yeah, but they've they've just like had this conflicting thing. Remember, he said he had thought about this poem and he would wasn't ready to talk about it yet. And she's talking about it's called the in the story. It's called time, but you can't say its name. And he wants to know why. And she says that there are in time and of time, but you can't separate yourself from it. If you call it something, then you're not a part of it. And he brings up how he thought it was talking about God because in uh, how the Hebrews don't say the name God and just so different, such a different perspective on that. And then this is where he asks her to dinner. You're right. Under the kind of, somber at best yeah it's almost like instead of like a hopeful bonding it's almost like a well i guess we got to address this next step (laughs) and it looks like we're connecting so our first step is our next step is our first date so how are we going to handle this how about dinner It's, it's almost like a matter of fact sequence identifying the next step in a sequence versus a burgeoning romance yeah yeah something definitely off about it and then it's funny that you you know that you took it like that that they put it like that because then we go to 1990 and this is when amelia comes into hayes workroom at home and says i think i have a future with this those salisaw boys really liked me and all this and he asks if she's drunk he's unhappy and i know he's just been through this kind of traumatic thing with becca going missing in the walmart but she says a detective took her out to eat and she thinks she may get the footage of the prior week and be able to go through it. And this is where she tells him that her fingerprints were only found in the cosmetic all. And, you know, I mean, she's got like some pretty important information in this stuff, right? But he's angry. And he this just the, says, it's the second time he's asked somebody if they're drunk while he's drunk, <laughs> like accusing them. Are you drunk? Like, they did that with Lucy when they first met her and they were drinking beer all afternoon, shooting rats. And now he's sitting there drinking whiskey and he's accusing her of being drunk. I don't know if there's anything to that. I just think it's interesting that it's kind of hypocritically, you know? Well, yeah. Yeah. This, this, I didn't like this scene at all. I got really, I had a real strong reaction to this scene. he, he cuts her off from talking about this important stuff that they've had this conversation about for a long time. And he says, I didn't get the stuff you wanted at Walmart. And, you know, I just had to pause here because this kind of stuff infuriates me. I'm not one of these big jump up on a soapbox female kind, you know, whatever. But they showed him getting specifically toilet paper is what they showed. That's when Rebecca went missing. He was 
picking out toilet paper. And just because she's the one who's put together enough to say we need toilet paper does not make it what she wanted that he didn't get. I was just livid at him for that, even before the rest of the conversation happened. And well, she's very... as a guy, he's speaking... Okay, he's not right, but he's speaking as a guy, and he's revealing his weakness as a guy. And, and I'll translate that as a guy. And he's okay. kind of saying... Wait a minute. I'm at the store shopping, doing the woman's job of shopping for the toilet paper while you're out flirting and solving a case, working on clues that like they they swapped roles, essentially. And he doesn't like that. That's that's his source of his anger. He's it's kind of masked a little bit in like you're flirting with another guy, like almost jealousy type thing. But it's really is it's really his manhood being questioned in his mind. But it was one time. It's not like everything has switched. It's not like he's the one at home now. And it was just this one incident. She told him she was going to do it. In the car, she told him what she was going to do. He didn't have anything negative to say about it. He just basically kind of fluffed her off. Like, yeah, you're not going to be able to do that. It may be the pathway to being more than on the pathway to being more than one time, because if it's if he's lost his job or he's lo- losing his career, that was his last case. He's not he's sitting at home. You know, he doesn't have anything to do. He's the he's the house mom now and she's out. No, he's not. He's not sitting at home. We see him in his office a little bit later. He's just not doing this kind of work. He's not sitting at home. I know, but he's not the he's not the guy he was before. And she's she's on the up word path and he's on the downward path i guess but you know evidently he doesn't use toilet paper because he didn't get well, what that's she not wanted. the point though it it's, it's his it it's his inter- no, it is the point mike because he's being insulting to her and she has done nothing and it's so freaking insulting because you're the one in the household who picks up the stuff or or keeps a list of the stuff and when when somebody else stops to get it it's like oh i didn't get what you wanted right that's, that's you're insulting. right i mean you're right it's they both need that stuff it's not like she needs it and and not him you're, you're right but i'm trying to explain it to you i'm not saying he's right i'm just explaining his reason for being this way yeah, it was just really ugly. I didn't he's not like just being mean for being mean's sake. He's he's revealing a character flaw that he's like his manhood is in in his mind in question. No, I completely agree. He's not just just decided he didn't like her. Whatever. I mean, I agree, but I just something about that just infuriated me and still she's sitting there talking calmly she asked did something happen and he just does this don't come bouncing in here half in the bag giddy about this shut up you know and it was like damn i mean really and, it's smart uh, of Pizzolatto to have him drinking whiskey too because he's half in the bag they're on equal they're on exactly equal footing he has no moral right to say you're drinking too much baby out flirting with these cops He's at home. You, you can't you can't give him any moral ground, higher ground than she. It's really smart the way this whole scene was constructed, I think. 
Well, yeah, but she maintains her calm, and he doesn't. She for tells a him, moment, she until she, you know, she, and that was also good writing. Is she reaches a point where she's like, "Fuck you, you, re, you crossed the line." I tried to keep this civil, but you crossed the line like too, too much. Now she draws it back in. I like that. Yeah, I mean, because it was ridiculous how he was, and it was infuriating. He once he starts talking about the kids, that's too much for her. You know, he tells her, go check on your kids since you ain't been with them all day. I mean, you know, so it's like she told him she was going to do this. She told him how she was going to do it. He didn't open his mouth. She goes and does it, and now there's suddenly a problem. And she's the only one who uses toilet paper. That's what I got out of that scene. So, Well, girls anyway. do use a lot more toilet paper than guys. Well, maybe. But she tells him she's not going to stop, and she walks out of the room. And, of course, he just pours him another couple of fingers, I guess, we see later. Okay, we're back in 1980. We're back to the search party going through the park. And this is where Hayes finds the odd-shaped dice and picks them up with a handkerchief. He looks around. He finds the bag stuck under the rock formation with toys in it. Um, and then he finds the rock that looks like, you know, that was where Will was killed. And it does look like an accident, Kind of. It certainly would lead you to believe that because it looks like he fell and hit his head. There's hair and blood on these rocks. And then he continues to walk and almost immediately comes out onto a dirt road and there's a house right there. So then uh, they're walking out and uh, out of the woods and West is saying that forensics is on their way and Hayes says that 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 was where Will died. Of course, he, you know, really feels like that and then he was taken to the cave. They're walking up to the house uh, that was just outside this area, literally just right there. And West is saying that no one's talked to this guy. And then we see him inside, and the guy says, no, he did talk to somebody. So there's somebody else going around that's covering something, right? Um, not, not, you mean covering up something? There, there's somebody going around either pretending like they're the police or detective, or they are a police or detective. Okay, if you knew something, right? If you live next door to something horrible that had happened and somebody comes to you afterward with a badge and they look official and they tell you and they start asking you questions about it, then you're not going to go to the police and tell them anything else, right? Because you've been questioned about it. So it's either somebody who wants to keep the stuff quiet. Does that make sense? Am I making yeah. any sense? You're kind of saying that maybe it was a fake police representation so that they wouldn't go to the real police and tell them. I'm saying, yeah, I'm either saying it was that or it was the real police and there's something. Yeah, I I never thought it being a fake out, like a fake police. But now that you say that, that that is interesting because he does make a couple a point a couple times of saying, well, he had a badge that made him you know, real to me. Like and he said that twice, at least twice. Right. And I mean, how much would you really look at a badge? Yeah, you wouldn't. Even if you looked at it, how would you know to ver- what to verify? You can get a badge well, at a toy store. Right, right. And if, you know, if if somebody hadn't come to him, he would have probably went to somebody, being that he was right there. I don't know. No, that's a good point. 
But Hayes wants to search his property, and the guy says no, which kind of takes us back to that conversation that we had before where they wanted to search everybody's property, and the uh, higher-ups said, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah. Then we come back to 2015. The reporter's asking Hayes if he thinks there was sufficient coverage of the neighborhood during the canvassing, so they segue directly into that and Hayes says yes they worked with what they had and then she starts giving him all those statements that we talked about earlier people who say they were never questioned um Hayes defends it and says if anybody got overlooked it was a mistake and she said some people got questioned three or four times and some people came forward about uh with important info about a nice brown sedan that was out of place and they weren't even called back so right so you can't do this stuff unless you're either the police yourself a higher up version of the police that then puts the kibosh on it and tells the gives the order don't investigate any further i've already taken care of this or you're somebody rich with resources enough to do this like the hoyt people right and i don't know which one it is well hayes remembers looking at the treads in the mud he kind of flashes back to that. We learned there's a guy named Charles Snyder, and he said two weeks before before this, his boy and a friend were talking about a black man with a scar in a suit where the kids played at Devil's Den. <clears throat> so there was that. No one questioned him, and it's not mentioned in any of the reports. And um, she asked, doesn't this point to serious flaws in the investigation, he goes, okay, what's going on? What do you know? And then Henry, for some reason, stops the interview right there. What was that all about? I don't know. Okay. He was getting agitated. He was, you know, I don't know. Well, but yeah. Right on the verge, maybe, of finding something out, though. So you're saying Henry's the murderer? I don't think it was probably Henry, considering Henry was not born no, that's a good. Time. That's a good alibi. Yeah, it's about the best. So then we go back to 1980, and they're searching the grounds of the house of the man that they had just spoken to and looking at the toys that they found, which included the corn husk dolls that were in the bag. And then we see um, two trucks come, come up on Woodard, the trash guy, and the guys have baseball bats. They get out, they beat him up a little bit and pull a gun on him and they tell him to leave their kids alone. And then they drive off. Don't you feel sorry for Woodard at this point? Yeah, he's going to take the heat, you know, he's going to take the heat for this. He's already ta- he's already is taking the heat, but he's probably going to get he's probably going to get killed <laughs> or some or worse. Something. <laughs> What's worse? But he's probably gonna get. He's probably gonna catch a lot more than he's already got, and he's gonna. Yeah, he's gonna be the false victim. Did you ever hear that Jeff Foxworthy thing? Where he was doing that thing where he said it was talking about I think a tornado, and he was mimicking somebody. He said we thought we'd be killed, or even worse. Anyway, it reminded me of that when you just said that. Um, so, Mike, do you remember I Rock Z's in the 90s? Secretly, Michelle, I am Jeff Foxworthy. Are so you? Our okay. Out. Okay, I shouldn't have told. I Rock Z's. That's what Wes comes driving up into the trailer. That, that was we talked the about. car. 
It was. It was. He's the man. Tom's making coffee and smoking the cigarettes and asking him how life is in charge. We find out that that Wes has helped Tom five years ago. So five years after it happened, Tom was deep in the booze and Wes helped him. We don't really know how. Well, they make and, it they make it look like West is his like AA sponsor almost, but that's hard to believe because West is pounding down alcohol. He's a drinker, West. Yeah, he's still drinking. He's just a friend to Tom. He just like felt compact. I mean, the way they prayed and stuff like Tom. You don't ask a friend. I don't know. Maybe in the South you do ask a friend to pray with you. But you might ask an AA sponsor because I think they're pretty heavy into the, the the good book and the, you know, wh- I don't know what book you put his hand on when they prayed, but it might have been the AA book. I think it was probably a Bible. Or I mean, the Bible, they're kind of, in, kind of the same beliefs, right? Well, I don't know what the AA book is, but so I, I don't think it is though. It's like, so, you know, it's like forgive, make sure you for, t- apologize well, to everyone. It's that, the twelve steps. Yeah. is what it is. But but Wes wants to know if Tom supports them reopening this case, and Tom brings up the fact he go, he goes, they found that fingerprint. Do you know what that means to me? Can you imagine? Right, And then we find out that Lucy's gone and she's been gone for two years. He brought her body back from Vegas and they, you know, Tom's been sober now for five years. And then, yeah, you're right. Then they pray together. If, he not, to if not an AA sponsor, how is West connected to Tom this way? Just out of pure compassion? Yeah, he might have. I think we're going to see. I'll, I'll be real surprised if we don't see. I think whatever happens, whoever they convict, right, I think Tom's going to spiral down from that, and West just makes sure he doesn't in some way. Why, though? West's just that good of a guy? Well, because, I mean, can you imagine how closely they work together? Tom even brings it up here. He says, you know, you've done more for me than anybody. Yeah, I know, but you see a lot of, I mean, in television and movies, you see a lot of cops that are just, they're just cops. They don't fall for their, you know, essentially compassion. They don't fall into compassion with the victims of crimes. They just do their job as hard-boiled detectives. But West West is connected to Tom in a way that's very compassionate and very tender that is unusual for crime stories. And Tom being comfortable asking him to pray and West doing it is really without the without the quote unquote cover of AA. It's very it's very intimate between two men to do this with. I mean, it is. It's inexplicable to me in this in what evidence we have so far. Like how because West seemed like hard boiled. I just shoot. I'll shoot. Drink beer and shoot at rodents all day. But now he's this friend and savior to this guy. It's interesting. It's just without AA, it, in AA context, it's very explainable. And without the AA, and they make it clear that West is a drinker. Yeah, so it's not AA, I don't think. Yeah. I, I think just because West got him there doesn't mean that West was part of that process. But right. But I, that makes it more complicated. That's interesting. I, I don't know that it's quite as, uh, you know, odd to ask somebody to pray with you. Um, in in the South. However, uh, 
the you know a man asking another man like that maybe a little more so than maybe a woman. Well, what asking. he knows is coffee. He's like, you still like lots of sugar and cream. Like he knows how he likes his coffee. I think they spent a lot of time together. I think this went on for a long, long time, and they spent a lot of time with this family. But maybe I know I, I have dude like friends, that. Michelle, and I have brothers, and I don't know what they put in their freaking coffee. He's he's way tighter with him than normal, okay. and maybe it is Arkansas, Arkansasness, in the South. But I don't know. Well, it seems. Tom was kind of like the the wife in that family, right, of the time. Tom was the one who bought the kids toys. Tom was the one who, um, you know, maybe made the coffee, although we did see Lucy make the coffee last time. So I don't know. That's That's a good point, though. But the prayer that Tom prayed, it was like beautiful to be saved from anger and resentment and judgment and that's prophecy. That's very AA-ish, though, I think. Like, you know, I don't know. I don't, I've never gone through AA, but I think it's, it sounds 12-step-ishness to me. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know that. But Okay, then we go back to 2015, and Hayes is talking into his recorder about the brown sedan, and he's saying, we knew. I don't know right. what that means. He's got the gun out on his desk. It's really focused in on the gun. And he starts talking about how Henry was five or six when Amelia started writing the book and Becca was three or four. He closes his eyes and he hears her talking, looks over his shoulder, and she's actually there. And it's really stressful to him. He doesn't like this. It's like this has happened before almost is how I took it. But... She's asking if um, he's awakening to what he has withheld. And did he harden his heart against what loved him most? Which I guess we might have to be thinking about Becca and her. No, what you loved most. Did you harden your heart to what you loved most? So not what loved him most, but what you loved the most. Okay, I wrote it down wrong then. I wrote down what loved him most. I think it's what you love the most. Did you harden your heart to what you love the most? And what could that be? So, like, her? The yeah, kid? Is, the yeah, kids? Is, I don't... I mean, you would hope. West? I don't think it was her. I don't think they were... I don't think it was her. Maybe West, his partner? <laughs> um, okay, so why is he saying, not like this, not like this? I don't deserve this. He, he, I think, I don't know, I think it might mean he tried to do the right thing and it turned out not to be the right thing. Convicted the wrong guy, helped get the wrong guy convicted by doing his job what he thought was the right way. And then, or maybe protected Amelia somehow. He didn't deserve to get the pain from protecting Amelia. I don't know, could be, I mean, it's open. Well, then he sees his kids running through the house, the li- his little kids, and he says he lost Becca, and she tells him he didn't, not the way he thinks he did. And she says he's worried what they'll find, what he left in the woods, and she tells him to finish it. Yeah. So there's something. And then suddenly his house back to normal, and she's gone. Well, We're you're right to- about this being him 
talking to himself with the mask of Amelia over it. So what what would he have left in the is it a clue that he never found or was it something he found that he purposely left behind well that's right something right it's something and we have to think that it's something because they mistreated him in some way because they talk about that the whole time too so maybe they were steering him in one way and they didn't want him to bring up something but he's worried about something being found now. Right. Something that might tarnish Amelia or get him in trouble. I, I don't think it's getting him in trouble, though, that he's worried about. Because he's ready to kill himself for going to an old, old folks' home. He's ready to off himself. So I think it's. I think he's more concerned with somebody else being harmed by things he's he's done or not done that he needs to resolve somehow. Right. Do you think Amelia's taunting him or helping him? Well, I don't think it's Amelia at all. Um, I think, like I said, this is just him, and that's how he's getting these memories back. Maybe because she always kept things straight. She was the straight shooter. So that's how he's going to remember it. But, I mean, I'm only guessing with that stuff. I don't know. It's a, pretty good, it's a pretty strong statement of love for how much he cared about her, that she's the messenger to him, even if it's, you know, thinking of himself. Is that, it? I think is so. It? Or is it her um, never letting him dodge the truth? Maybe. I, I think I think people you remember in dreams and in ghostishness. I've said ishness a lot in this podcast. <laughs> I, I think you love those people. I think they're powerful people because you let them fall into your circle of love. I don't think it's, oh, you're the one that always taunted me and brought me to my heel on clues and shit I should have done. So you're the one in the dream. I think it's more than that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think you're right, but I'm just saying maybe she was the one who never let him um, be fake with himself. You know, maybe she's never the one who let him uh, have things the way he wanted them to be in place of the way they actually were. I don't know. Maybe. I, I think, though, that she's the strongest love influence in his life, and so that's the messenger that he's chosen to see when he needs to remember this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's not Becca, Daddy, Daddy, please help me remember. You know, it's Amelia. Somehow he's got that as the the point of reference for his important things he needs to address. And maybe just the voice of reason. Because she certainly was when they had that argument earlier. Um, okay, anyway, we go to 1990. This is where Hayes walks into the office. He's got like this little cubicle-y kind of office. And he sits down with a file. A woman comes in and tells him he's got a message that the lieutenant wants to see him. And he must be moving up in the world. It's a crappy office. Not even a cubicle. It's like a desk against the wall. Yeah. Not even a yeah. desk. It's like a card table. <laughs> Um, we go back to 1980, and we see Woodard go into the shed, and he pulls something out. What is that? What What was he getting? What it's was a body. that? It's a body part, bag of body parts. 
Didn't you watch the Americans, Michelle? They can chop, the, they can break those bones, get those bodies into pretty small bags. Yeah, and the suitcases, remember? But what no, was it's that? It's a bag of guns, or it's a bag it's of. It's not guns, it was limp. Me and Mike talked no, about this. No, it wasn't I limp. Wanted, it was limp. It was limp. Go back and look, I promise, because we did. It it's was, not a it, body. It's not. It's, okay, listen. Well, it's not Julie's body. We know that. And what other body would there it's be? The next right? kid in, it's the next kid in town that he kills, clearly. No, it's not a body. They made it. They tricked us to make it look that way. They did trick us because why would he, after being beat up, go in the shed and pull out this canvas thing the size of a child's body? Because he's going to go on a rampage with a bag of guns. It wasn't guns. That was not guns. You don't carry guns like that. You don't carry a canvas of guns in your arms like a baby. Well, what is it then? Okay. I'm glad you asked. I think that it could be what what came to my mind. I don't know if this is it. Was remember Woodard talked about his wife and children leaving. I think he might have done something to his own family. So his whole family's in that bag? Not all of them, probably. No. I think so. I think I think Woodard's going to end up being that he's done something, but he didn't do this. No, no, no. So okay, so he kills his he kills somebody in his family, puts him in a bag, and le- leaves the bag in a shed and walks away. Till la- I'll address this later. Then it comes up that he has to address it, so he goes and gets the bag. He has to address it because they're coming after him, thinking he's a child killer. How, how long him. do you keep a body in a bag? That just starts decomposing an hour after you kill the person. How long do you keep that bag? I know, but I mean, what was in the bag? You don't hold, Mike, you don't hold guns like that. When's the last time you picked up a big bag of guns and held it like a baby? I don't have enough guns to put in a bag like that. (laughs) Anyway, it's something, it's maybe not guns, it's, but it's, it's not a body. It's something that he doesn't want people to know that he has. Could be, you know, he's a junk collector, so maybe he's found, maybe, I don't know, he does cradle it, you're right, but I don't know why he does that, but I don't think it's a body. Well, if they make it guns, I'm going to be mad, because you do not pick up a bag of guns that way. That's not at all accurate for somebody who's been in the military. You don't put a body in a bag and then put it in a shed for later. You, You deal with it. I know, but I don't know. They made it look like it was the size of a small child, and he's frantic when he gets in there. So they made it look like that anyway. Okay, then we go to Wes showing Tom and Lucy pictures of the boy, of the toys to find out um, if they belong to the kids, and Tom doesn't recognize them. We find out Tom's the one who did buy the kids' toys. Lucy's just... She's not interested at this point, but she... Was uninterested. That was maybe, not. Maybe Woodard's bags full of something that he finds precious that he wants to treat preciously. Maybe it's like on his route he finds toys and dolls. Maybe it's a bag of those straw dolls or you know something that's like more precious than anything else. But why? Why would he have taken something precious and put it in a canvas bag and stuffed it in his shed? Because he finds this stuff along the way and he sorts out the stuff he wants to give to... Maybe he gives the toy. I I don't know. I don't know. That's actually a good point, though. It could be something that he's found that would be relatable to what happened. You would pick up something 
tenderly like a baby that doesn't need to be treated tenderly because you think of it tenderly. You think of it preciously. And maybe that's what he's doing with the bag. Like maybe my, well, maybe my wife made these dolls and it's something that is so precious that I have to treat it like it's a living entity. No, you're not going to pick up a bag of dolls like that. And particularly a man's not going to do that. All right. I don't, I don't buy that. I, we'll my bags out, of I dolls, guess. I treat them really nice. Well, you're an exception. <clears throat> okay, Tom asked about the reward and um, if if that's, you know, what these toys are about. And they find out, they, they let Tom know that these toys that they found in the woods had his kids' fingerprints on them and somebody else's fingerprints that they think is an adult, but they haven't identified them. And Hayes goes over and finds an old baby album, and it has a picture of Will in it at his first communion with his hands folded in exactly the same right. way so that, that he was that filled. That shows, I think, that whoever did that had to be close enough. Although it doesn't really necessarily – this is – Pizzolatto's a freaking bastard, man, because it's – you. Could, how many ways do you pray? Like one way, right? So if you wanted to put somebody in a religious pose, that's how you would do it. You wouldn't need a photo of the kid's first communion to see that he held, that he prayed that way. Right. Although that's the implication that somebody who, only somebody who got into that house to see that photo album could have known that that's how Will's hands need to go. No, not somebody who saw the photo album, but maybe somebody who was at his communion. Either way, some intimate circle of people that saw Will that way. But you don't need to see Will that way, Michelle, to see how people pray. That's how, pe- that's how everybody prays. Yeah, but it was somebody who knew Will, right? Maybe, I don't know. That's not necessary. That's my point. You don't need to know Will to know how people pray. And if you're, if you're in a weird religious state of mind and you want to put him in a religious pose as a dead body, you don't need to have seen that photo or seen that communion. But Pizzolatto wants us to think that, so I don't know what he's after. He's messing with our minds, Mike. Okay, then we're back in 1990. Wes comes into the bar where Hayes is having a beer. Uh, he has that conflict with the bartender because evidently they're at the VF or what is it, VFW? Yeah, Veterans of Foreign Wars. This is a VFW. Yeah. You can't go in there unless you're a veteran. Right, and he asks him where he served, and Wes gets ugly with him and tells him he wants two fingers of Southern comfort. Hayes takes up for him, and then they have like their own little kind of uh, conflict, right? But it's not, I don't know. Friendly. It's friendly. It is friendly. Um, Hayes brings up that Wes got promoted because of his pigmentation, um, but he also says he's avoiding home. They're ribbing each other. It's kind of harsh, but it still felt like ribbing, like you said. No, it's fraternal. It's good. It's it's bonding. Well, West asked him if he feels like being a detective again because he was good at that, and um, West wants him to work with him on the Purcell case again. Well, and also that West was shot. Yes, we find out West was shot. Maybe. I mean, he says that, but that has to be because he was shot. Well, so, yeah, yeah, uh, somebody to be on the case, and Hayes accepts. So Yeah, and he kind of apologizes, and Wes says, you're not really sorry, and Hayes says, well, I'm half sorry, and they walk out with Hayes, like, 
saluting West slightly, maybe more mockingly, and that's the way this episode ends. So this has been a long one, Michelle. So this is this is a rich rich television. So it's hard to just breeze through it. But it is. I had eighteen pages. Of course, I type really big, like, but eighteen pages of notes for this. Like my voice gives out. It's so much to talk about in so it. So next week is the hour and the day, and it's episode four. Episode fours were big in previous seasons of True Detective. They were the that was the that was the Houston housing project long tracking shot in season one. Episode oh, cool. four. Yeah. And I think it was the shootout at the lodge in season two. So it's a halfway point. Should be interesting. So Michelle, did you watch any previews next on? I did. Did you? So I, yeah, I don't know. Okay. I, mean, I didn't. I did not. But I heard about them, and that's why I think it's a bag of guns. So let's let's say that this is very spoilery because I think it is from what I've heard about them. I didn't see them. Okay. But so if you don't want to hear them, you should check out now and watch us. Listen to us next week on the hour and the day. Yep. But. So, spoilery, what did you see on the next on Michelle? Okay, Hayes is addressing a group saying they have pieces that are missing that he needs, and they are on a ticking clock. So, assuming he's back working with the group, and he's really kind of, you know, trying to get that. Amelia asks if Will's death could have been an accident, which is what we've talked about from episode one. West is saying that maybe whoever they were playing with never wanted the boy. And Hayes says, yeah, he thinks it was all about the girl. And um, as an aside, I'm saying that this all goes back to what Tom's mother said about Lucy getting pregnant, right? When Tom wasn't there again. Anyway, we go back to this. It says, um, they show us a photo or a, you know, an image of a skeleton that's half uncovered. Hayes is asking an older woman about the dolls, saying um, she says someone bought them, and um, she she knows who. It was a man with a dead eye. Someone is commenting on how strange it is um, with Will, with Will's communion picture and his body being in the same position. Hayes says there's something they're not catching. They say they have a hit on the bike and Freddie burns. And then we flash to Freddie in a holding cell, it looks like, looking really distressed, like visibly upset. We see a car chasing Woodard who's running on foot, two, the two cars, I think it's the same two cars, who's running on foot down a road and someone's yelling that they warned him off the kids. And then West is saying that everything pointed to the girl being dead, and they were wrong, and let's find out why. So what did you hear? Uh, I heard, well, okay, so now maybe extra spoilery. I heard there was like a gunfight between Woodard and some people and explosions and stuff. Okay, I didn't see any of that. So Well, maybe I misheard that then. But that's, so I didn't say this back in the in our regular part of our episode, but maybe that was what's in, and I don't, I don't remember what Woodard did in the Army, but maybe he had some sort of explosive devices, and that you would treat very carefully if you pick them up in a bag. Like, Woodard knew he had to fight back, so guns slash explosives could be what are in that bag. Okay. 
Especially okay. if there's an explosion and a gunfight in the next ons. Yeah, I didn't see any of that, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just wasn't part of what they showed me. Yeah, so, you know, Woodard could have gotten into a gunfight and gets, gets killed or gets hurt somehow that Hayes feels guilty about because he may have led people to believe it might be Woodard. I don't know. I mean, but that would explain being careful with a bag if it's full of bombs or plastic explosive or something. Yeah, or grenades or anything like that, I guess. Yeah, and that would make it more pliable, limp, kind of. So, And it does make sense that he would go after something like that after being threatened the way he was. Right, first thing. Like, if I had a, bot, if I had a body stashed... I would, and I, and that just happened to me where I got beat up. I would go for my gun before I go for, like, disposing of the body. He's going for defense, I think. He's going for something to help protect, protect himself. Yeah, I mean, I, that, that does make more sense. It just, they definitely made it look like something different. And I don't know why they would do that, because we know Julie did not die. And Will's already been found. So I'm not real sure why Pizzolatto would have done that. I don't know. We'll find out. 3.04, the hour in the day. I'm looking forward to it. All right, Michelle. See you then. We'll see you then, Mike. Small reprieve, your heart of gold.